And I did that. And that's when I realized that everything that I hated about myself, everything that I felt shameful for, like those things actually brought me closer to people. But I had to own them first and like love them within myself first. I didn't hold anything back because I want to show the power of like just the excellence in our humanness. That's one of my primary messages is that like, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're doing, if you can just recognize that all of it is human and that there's also a part of you that is so profound, so powerful, and that can help other people that if you start leaning in and looking for the greatness, it's there. It's like I went through all sorts of hell and unworthiness and I can still create, you know, a half a million dollar business as a single mom. So can you or whatever it is that you want to do. That's Nicole Sylvester. And I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome back to the show, the Do A Day Podcast where I bring on people who inspire the living daylights out of me because I hope that they will inspire you. And I got another one. Um, big shout out, first of all, to Brent Thierry for making this connection. This is Nicole Sylvester. Nicole is a spiritual success coach, and we get into exactly what that means. But if you think about what success is, it's really easy to define it like financially or some business objective. Or if you're an athlete, maybe it's about, you know, like winning your race or getting to some level of success physically. But what about the spiritual side? And so she's not just a success coach, but she's a success coach in the context of that 360 degree view, bringing your soul, your spirit, your person, your humanness into it. And you will hear her backstory and be like, that's not what she was about at all. She has a really difficult, dark, twisting backstory. There's abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, substance abuse on her part and the part of those around her. Um, she gets to a place where she's actually dealing, uh, dealing drugs across the country or transporting them at least and then dealing them. Um, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, so there's you know it's it's a pretty tough discussion. Uh, you know, I've had to say this with a few lately. Uh, just be mindful of that. What are you up for? What are you ready for? It's worth it, but it's tough. So just a heads up on that. Obviously, being sensitive to the audience you have around you. Uh, but Nicole is amazing, and her story is amazing, and the way she talks about that journey and the points where she learned the keys around this spiritual journey and the keys around why spiritual success is such a crucial component of your overall success. And without it, success is probably going to be fleeting or at least not have the impact on you and your life that it could have. So let's get into the story. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty gripping. It's pretty real. And she does a fantastic job taking us through it. So with that, let's jump into the episode with Nicole Sylvester. Nicole Sylvester, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, I got to start out with a shout out to Brent Terry for making the connection. Um, just had a really cool conversation with him. And he's like, you should talk to this person and this person and this person. You were the first that he connected me with. And uh, oh. he gave me, I was saying to you, he gave me very little to go on. But the little I got, I was like, no, she's <laughs> totally a fit. But so this is kind of, yeah. I'm going to be finding out a lot as well. Like I, I said, I purposely didn't dig in too much because I kind of wanted to learn 
when the listeners learn. Yeah, so I'm excited mysterious. for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, break some of the mystery for us. What are you doing these days? Like, what, what's the today look like for you? Sure. So today I am a single mom um, and I live in LA with my daughter. She's 14 years old and we live out here while I am just chasing this dream of inspiring as many people as possible. And that's really what I started all of this with. And it's kind of morphed into now being a spiritual success coach because I wanted to just inspire people. And then people were like, well, are you coaching? Um, you know, can you help me with your business? Because my business grew really quickly financially. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, author, spiritual, su- spiritual success coach. I have a podcast, The Harmonious Hustle, redefining the hustle for women. And I have live events. So all of that stuff is what I'm doing now. What is a spiritual success coach? Like what is the so, difference with the word spiritual? Yeah. Though? So I think the success is like a loaded word. Mm-hmm. And success is really just like whatever feels really good to you. And to me, uh, spiritual su- success is like the ultimate success because it's fulfillment, it's joy, it's being connected to your highest self and being led from like that inner authority versus being led by all the noise out there. So it's not a, it's not like listening to spirits and. Well, it's your about, spirit. Yeah, your your own <laughs> like, spirit, but not like Ouija yeah. board kind of. No, No. I mean, no, I'm very grounded spiritual. And you'll, when you learn more about my story, you'll see why, but I thought all of this stuff was weird. I remember my friend went to like a Reiki healer and I was like, this is such BS. (laughs) I just like had wanted nothing to do with it. But, you know, in my own journey, I did find that there is this voice and there are these nudges and feelings that if we follow it and if we Mm. pay attention, it will guide us to our own unique, special, you know, heaven, happiness, joy. And to me, that's what success really is because I could follow the path of Grant Cardone or Mel Robbins or whoever else, and I'll be miserable. Mm. But so spiritual success for me, it's also me teaching through spiritual principles. So I can have someone on the phone and we could be talking about how do you want to have like, you know, breakthrough six figures or whatever, but we're going to meditate. We're going to visualize, we're going to do deep breathing and we're going to trust your intuition over mine. Mm. I like that. It's more, uh. It's more personal, not a knock on those people. It's just a different approach no. though. Yeah. Because a different focus for it. Um, I think it kind of goes back to your point about why you're doing what you're doing is about having the impact on people. Yeah. Um, you're measuring like that's the currency, yeah. not the financial. Like the financial to me will follow if you're having true impact. Totally. Um, so leading with that, I love that. Um so the mystery of the story and, and your journey, yes. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really, really <laughs> okay. curious. So bring us through okay. like what got you to this point? Yeah. So, and it's, it kind of goes into it. Like if you've seen my book cover, I don't know if you've seen it, but it looks like, yeah. it looks like, oh shit, but it says, oh shift. And my book was really, it's that a journey from chaos to consciousness. So growing up, I was in a home that was domestic violence, drug Mm. addiction. I watched my dad overdose on heroin. Um, My mom would have black eyes. And, you know, I saw the cops beating up my dad, like all these things happened. And I just hated it. And not only that, I had this always this ongoing stomach pain and I, which I realized is anxiety. And I just thought, well, I never want to live like this, Mm. but I ended up finding myself in the same place. So by age 15, I finally discovered 
you know, drugs and alcohol. And I was like, wow, all of this fear and pain and everything that I felt from the nonstop chaos and hell that was at my house, it would be numbed. Mm. So that's where like, I really started falling into addiction. And in 17, at age 17, I fell in love with my first boyfriend and he was violent. Mm. So that was my first taste of that. And I just realized like, wow, this is what I hated about my mom and dad's relationship. But I love this person and it was so hard to leave him. And you know, you hear people say that, but you yeah. don't really understand. Like, why don't you just leave? Yeah. <laughs> why don't you just leave? Right. And people would say, why are you there? You're so pretty. You're this, that. But I didn't feel any of those things. And yeah. I felt afraid because this was a, this felt like my person. I didn't mm. get along with my family because they always were fighting with each other. Like literally like, I mean, like cutthroat kind of fighting. Yeah. And so I finally get this job when I'm 18 and it gave me like the confidence and courage. And I was like, I need to leave this relationship. So I did. And when I left him, it was two or three weeks later, he ended up finding me at a friend's house, kidnapped me, beat me. until I was unrecognizable. I mean, I literally thought I was going to die. He told me he was going to kill me. He raped me and then just dropped me off at a hospital. But that is where really the dark spiral from my own life began. Because after that, I had so much shame and I remember going to my job at the time and I wanted to miss more work because I didn't want to go to back. I mean, my face, my nose yeah. is still a little bit deformed from that, but my eyes, my, the whites of my eyes were red and I didn't want to go to work and tell people what happened. And yeah. I remember my boss said, just say that you were mugged, but I didn't want to. I just, and it's so funny. Like I just now think of this, like I had so much shame for someone doing something to me, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I finally go but back. You to didn't work, choose but, and you didn't bring upon yourself, but, but I felt like there was just such this heavy shame. So I never really got back to my life after yeah. that. And I was taking so many prescription drugs and I ended up quitting. And then I ended up going to try to be a stripper because I was like, well, I need something I can be basically drunk <laughs> take yeah. pills and make money. But I was like the worst stripper ever. Like didn't want to be touched by men. Didn't want to flirt with them. <laughs> like I, it lasted for a few weeks. And then I met someone who sold cocaine and I found that as a much more respectable way of making money for myself. Um, so I went down that path and then I ended up moving to Vegas where it's kind of like the climax of everything happened yeah. in the chaos. Go ahead. Were you going to ask me something? Well, I have, I have questions <laughs> like, keeps going. Back, <laughs> like yeah. yeah. So I don't want to interrupt the flow, but there's actually like a, a much earlier, so I guess yeah. I am going to interrupt the flow. There's a much earlier point that I'm so curious about is that initial, like people who suffer at the hands of um violence or alcoholism or drug abuse as children mm. i see this split where either they go in the opposite direction or they go down that path and yeah. that's one of the things i'm super curious about trying to understand if there's an unlock around like why one or the other so if you went down the path of not being the abuser but going right into yeah. the hands of an abuser and also the drugs like do do you, are you aware of what was going through your mind back then? Like, could you have seen it as a path or it was just sort of like, it's such a closed off world. There was no other outcome. How do you feel about that? I see it like, cause it is, I've noticed that too. Like I had a personal trainer who grew up in a similar situation and she is like no drugs, like never yeah. nothing. Right. Um, I think for me, I just had so much pain and it just, once I got a taste of it, yeah. For me, like I went down that path. And then also I think it's however you receive love from your dad 
so like for instance, my dad, love my dad, have a different relationship with him now, but my dad has always been someone that shows love in a way that is like off putting. Mm. So I noticed that I was looking for that in men and that the men were very similar to my dad in Mm -hmm. certain ways. Um, So, and it's also that I just craved love and connection and that when people meet you and they have similar wounding, there's a resonance. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. I know I've thought about it too, because I had end up having a cycle. I mean, in my book, I write about two of the abusive relationships, but I had three, like three with like very intense violence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Vegas is where it really turned like, so for anyone who's listening, who's kind of like, holy shit, the story hasn't even really begun yet like that's why yeah so well I so I wanted to have a fresh start and in my young mind I was 22 at the time I thought I'm going to move to I'm going to move to Vegas and I'm gonna have a fresh start and Vegas was very affordable to move Mm -hmm. to at the time and it was kind of up and coming so I moved there and literally the first day I meet there move there I meet this guy and we become friends and we're friends hanging out we start dating and I find out that he is selling cocaine And I was like, well, hey, I used to do that. And there's a way that we could do it, make more money in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So I started transporting it, bigger amounts of it. And like literally going on like commercial airliners with like a quarter kilo of cocaine. Were you in Pennsylvania before? Yeah, I was in Pennsylvania before. I was like, why Pennsylvania? All right, got it. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. So I was doing that. And the thing that I write about in my book, and I know a lot of women kind of relate to this and it's weird, is that part of me wanting to do that and put myself in such risk. I was doing that because I wanted this man to be proud of me. I wanted him Mm. to like, you know, see that I was like indispensable kind of thing. So it was really just bizarre what I was doing and why I was doing it. But we ended up making a lot of money. I ended up getting pregnant and that's when I had my daughter and that relationship turned more violent than any other relationship. And it was more trapping for me because not only was I pregnant, I was living in a house beyond anything I imagined living in at any age like that. And my family even thought, and because of their background, they kind of pushed me to stay there. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though they knew that I would come home and visit with like a remnant of a black eye, to them it was kind of normal. Yeah, yeah, desensitized to it. Yeah, so yeah. it was very sick and twisted. But the the way that all of that came to an end is there was a day where the violence got really bad. He threw a wooden toy at my head and I had a scalp, um, gash that led to 10 staples in my scalp. Wow. And I remember being at the hospital and I was scared to go home, but my daughter was there and I just thought I need to escape. Like I need to get out of this. And the only way that I could get out, there was one morning, like shortly after where I just had this, like, this is when I first remember feeling my intuition. It was like, you have to leave now. Mm. And I had Xanax that I was taking and I just crushed it up and I put it in his tea and I put it in his pizza. He fell asleep. I took my daughter and I left and he actually ended up murdering a woman six weeks later in that house. So that was the like, holy crap, like everything changed. All of my patterns of loving men that abused me. And, you know, I just kind of thought that this is what men do. And, you know, that's what I'd grown up around. It was just like, no this needs to stop and change. So that was the turning point. What, what was her relationship to just like some woman that he met or was she was this... dating him, but there was a, I don't know, there was like some kind of craziness drugs involved. Okay. I'm not even really totally sure. Um, I just know what the detectives told me, yeah. but literally I got a call 
it was like I said, it was just weeks after we left and I got a call from Las Vegas homicide that was just like, come and get your house. Mm. There was a woman murdered there. And I was just like, I don't even know what to do. I mean, like I didn't even know how to function with, yeah. with all of that, my own trauma. And it was just very, you know, traumatizing to go back to my house that I basically, we built that house yeah. and to see some other woman's blood there and just imagining how that all transpired. It was so, it was hard. God. Wait. Yeah. Did he, so like when you left the first guy that didn't go well, was yeah. that in your mind? Did he come after you? Did, was it cause you took his daughter. So it like, was, but okay. So there was a kind of like little crazy part that I didn't include in this. Cause sometimes okay. I forget it's in the book. It's a so lot. He, well, yeah. And when I was eight months pregnant, what I found out about this man, I know him as, I knew him as Devin and I write about this in the book, but at eight months pregnant, it came out to me that that was not his real name and identity. He was actually living in Vegas and he was on the run for some other thing that happened with an ex and some other stuff. And he had two kids and like, I didn't know about any of that. God. So like, it was a whole fake. Identity. Yeah. So like I had no fear that he would come after me because he couldn't go on. Plane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, wow. That was kind of like a, you know, a catch 22, like he couldn't come. So I felt safe in that way. That was the last thing I expected, but I would say that the part I when I look back on this and I share this at my, my live events, when I talk to women that I, if that murder didn't happen, I can't say that I wouldn't have gone back yeah. because I was so, it was like, I was so afraid to be without him. And I felt like I didn't have the courage or strength to raise my daughter on my own. I just didn't know myself at all. Oh. So it's been a long time. A lot of things have changed Yeah. because now I live a totally different life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you said like, I knew him as like no story that starts with that phrase, like that's not a good way to start. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my God. Wow. So but, wait, that's right. the second of three. So it's that was the third. The second the third. one I okay. didn't write about. Okay, but there was okay. a third one, and I was like, was "There's like a another after this." Okay, no, no, this, that was it. This was the big turn, like, because that's that quite a, out. it's quite a catalyst moment. Um, so I, yeah, one thing I just found out. I just interviewed someone um, whose husband was murdered at they owned a CrossFit gym, mm. and uh, after you know dealing with the police and whatever at the crime scene, they're like, "Okay, you need to find a company to come clean this." And it never occurred to me that like they put that on the people who are, you know, she's in the middle of like grieving. Her husband was just shot to death. Oh my gosh. Um, so like, they're like, you have to come claim your house and clean it. Like, yeah, it, I don't know. Like the average person doesn't realize like you have to, you're responsible for cleaning a crime scene. It's like, this is when you escaped for your life. Yeah. Kind of just had a confirmation that if you stayed, it literally could have been life or death. And yeah. there's some stranger's blood everywhere. Um, yeah, I don't even know how you process the these things. It. I actually just abandoned the house. Like I got a foreclosure, it messed up my credit and everything. I mean, I just was not in the capacity to yeah. even deal. Not only that, I was just, I didn't realize at the time, but I had to unpack so much trauma because for me, I was traumatized until I was about 15 and then I started numbing. And from mm -hmm. that point, I just kind of checked out. Yeah. So then it all hits you. Yeah. So by the time that thing happened in Vegas, I mean, I went there, looked at the house. I could barely be in there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. At the time it was like warm, the windows were shut and just that little bit of blood yeah. in the house, it smelled. Yeah. And the fact of like, you know, it was just too much for me. So yeah. 
And we ended up, so yeah, I went there a couple of times. I had some things moved out like big furniture items, but it was a 4,000 square foot house and I just abandoned it. I just left it. (laughs) Were you still using at the time? Um, I would use, yeah. Like for me, I would, I loved cocaine. (laughs) Like I really did. It was just fun and I liked using it. So I did. And it mostly would wake me up when I would like, I would drink and use that. So at that time, like even at that house, it was bad. I remember there was cocaine just laying all around, even though they took confiscated the big amounts. And my friend and I would just do it. The stuff that was left over <laughs> sitting on the counter. Yeah. So it was it was pretty bad. So where I ended up getting sober, probably a few weeks after that. And I'm not sober like I've gone to recovery. I can go out like I, sh- I celebrated four years in my business two days ago and I had a glass of champagne and I'm just like, you know, that's my life now. But at the time, I realize like I have to get sober and have a normal life, but I also had tremendous anxiety. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that's had a majority of time numbing alcohol, you may not even want it or crave it, but then you have so much anxiety when you don't. Mm -hmm. So it was like this, uh, a big balance of me finding myself. And when I came to LA, um, that's when I really started realizing there's this whole other healthy lifestyle that people live <laughs> that yeah. doesn't happen in Vegas so much, but it, yeah. it happens here. I mean, LA's kind of got both sides of the coin. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's the healthy lifestyle is definitely very strong there, but it doesn't have yeah. to be. There's So I'm interested in like how you got to a place where you start making choices because mm-hmm. you, you could have picked either side. Like LA's got it can indulge all of the things that you were indulging in, or yeah. it can take you down the like yoga, namaste, green juice kind of path. Yeah. I ended up on that path. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was really my daughter because I knew that I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be that mom. When mm. that murder happened, my daughter was not even two yet. So she was still young. And when I moved to LA, I just saw my, my daughter being raised here versus Vegas. And I worked in a nightclub at the time. Like when I worked in LA, I worked in nightclubs. So I saw that lifestyle, but I just started getting over it. I was just getting over it. I knew I didn't want to live that way. And I just started doing things like hiking and like, um, you know, not buying wine for, I would drink whole bottles of wine to myself when I lived in Vegas per night. (laughs) And then I just like, I just slowly was cutting back, but I also was diagnosed. And this was a big turning point for me. I was diagnosed with a panic disorder and I developed agoraphobia. Um, like I would try to cross the street and I would get scared wow. of the empty of the space. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not having anything next to me to grab onto. So I developed all those things and my doctors were trying to put me on all sorts of medications. I hated the way it made me feel. Mm-hmm. And finally, that's what led me to spiritual practice and sp- a spiritual center, which changed my life. How did you find it? Uh, after one really particular bad panic attack, where I had it on the freeway and I blacked out and I just like had to go to the hospital. I called a friend to pick up my daughter and she was just like, you know, you have to do something about this. And she was like, you should try the spiritual center. And I was like anti all, all of that. And she showed me this YouTube video of this place. It was called Agape. And I thought it was really cheesy and I really didn't want to go, but I was desperate. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going and the founder, the teacher there, Michael Beckwith, he said something like, there's a part of you that can never be broken, hurt, hurt or damaged by anything that's happened to you in the past. And I was like, wow, like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what? I need to, like, really look into this. Yeah. Like, what? You know, because I was so damaged. Like, I felt so damaged from my past. Yeah. It almost seems un- unbelievable. 
Yeah, but it spoke to me in such a way that was like, there's more here for you. And at the time when I moved to LA, I just pretended none of this other stuff happened to me. Like I closed it off and was just like, let me just start a new life and not tell anybody about these things. You know, obviously my closest friends knew. So going to the spiritual center, there was another thing that they did where they hold their hands up. And I mean, it's pretty weird if you're not into this kind of stuff. They hold their hands up and there's like a thousand people and there are 2000 people there. So then they hold their hands and they, they, everybody turns to you or the people that are new and they're like, you are amazing. You are whatever the hell they were saying, who knows, but you are like a divine being. And I was just crying. Cause I was just like, this is so bizarre that these people are like, care about me or like love me or are nice. And yeah. I don't even know them. So it was like something that it changed inside of me that made me want to keep going. Oh. And I did. Yeah. At that kind of scale with that many people, like you can be as skeptical and uncomfortable as you want, but when it happens (laughs) at that scale, you kind of can't help but be overpowered by like the amount of human energy doing that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's kind of a forcing mechanism. That's, that's wild and cool. And I bet a lot of people are cringing right now of like, oh my God, I'd be so embarrassed (laughs) or I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. I still cry when I go to that place and I, when they do that part for new people, like I can feel it. It's just, it's a beautiful moment. You see everyone else crying, feeling awkward, whatever, (laughs) but it feels good. That's really cool. So that, that was another key moment for you. So like release. Yeah. It was like a recognition of maybe love. Like, I don't know. I didn't feel, and this is probably weird for some people, but like in my home, of course I knew that there was love, but at the same time there was a lot of, fear and hate yeah and I get that. yeah so like it's like i didn't understand people just being nice and mm-hmm. caring and just like like it just felt like love it just felt like a love were you suspicious of I mean, that? maybe not of maybe of that but yeah, just in general like that people would have a motive or like they're gonna turn and hit you if you're not careful yeah it was like i wrote a, and i wrote about this moment in my books it was a defining moment but even though it was that it was like you said there's that feeling that came with it which felt good yeah so it wasn't like a, my mind was my mind of course was suspicious and cautious of all things right? yeah. but like but at the same time i couldn't deny like what my heart felt and my heart felt like this feels good and like i'm willing to like let this in and explore it so so you did you let it in and explored it yeah I became kind of obsessed with it and I like had a new addiction, which was spiritual stuff. <laughs> and then it was like, mm. I, I want to chase this, like what's over here. If there's a new way, if, if we can heal our, our traumas, if we can connect to something outside of like what we've been seeing life as and create a new destiny and create a new way of being like, okay, mm-hmm. let me try that. And I did that. And I went to, multiple silent retreats per year. I went to my first silent retreat for my 30th birthday. I'm 37 now. And that was a big turning point too, because I was really suffering with anxiety still. And I remember I had a panic attack one night at the retreat. (laughs) My friend, I like went and slept in bed with her, but I was like 90 pounds at the time. I was so unhealthy. And I remember asking a question and I said, I've been told I have a chemical imbalance. What do you think about this? Like, can I change it? And he said, we have chemical shifts in our body all day long, like Mm -hmm. depending on what we're eating. And like, that was like, wow to me (laughs) because I grew up eating crap food. So that was a big shift. And, um, yeah, a lot changed after my first silent retreat. How long was it? Uh, it was three days, three days. So it was a short one. I so want to do one. 
Yeah, okay. they're like very, oh. very good. And I, you're like the third person I know that's had a panic attack, like in the midst of them, because it, yeah, it's actually unbelievably hard and awakening, and you go through like it's it's a journey, right? Like you go through you all face these your different, crap. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so there's no running away and kind of, you know. And I think the thing that's weird at first, but then you begin to have such an appreciation for the silence is like sitting down and having meals with people in silence, walking mm. past people and not like needing to like fill the space. So you start yeah. noticing how often people just aren't comfortable with just being. Yeah. Yeah. Walking and past you. people. You have this <laughs> yeah. awkward, like, do we look at them? Do I say hello? Do I, Oh, yeah. they're, they're not looking. Keep going. Yeah. It's I like smile. that. I smile. I'm like, yeah. you know, <laughs> but we are in the silence. So, so yeah, that was a big, that was a big thing. But, you know, after that, I became kind of obsessed with the silence and I went deep into my teachings. I mean, I've traveled to India to do um, intense retreats there. So like, I really was just on the path for my own liberation. But then I had my awakening moment. And this is where it shifted into what I do now. It was 2014, New Year's Eve, I had this moment, I was actually meditating on how to make $300,000 in my finance business. <laughs> and I was like looking for that answer. And I hear this voice, you know, things come through either like visual or audibly. And it came through and it just said, share your story, help women, everything will be taken care of. Hmm. And I, at the time, no one knew all these things that I wrote my book about or that are in my, you know, I built my business on. Yeah. And that's where I really had to like really face this, like share. And it was so clear. It was undeniable that I knew this was something I had to do. But over the course of one year, as I kept sitting with that, I watched how my old life was kind of falling apart and that I was being shown all these new ways to step out into this space of sharing my truth. And I finally did on uh, October 1st, 2015, I made a video, which was like my coming out video. Yeah. And I was like, I know everyone knows me as this and people just think that my daughter's father is just MIA, but like, here's the truth of what's happened to me. And this is why I feel inspired to help other women. And I did that. And that's when I realized that everything that I hated about myself, everything that I was felt shameful for, like those things actually brought me closer to people, mm. but I had to own them first and like love them within myself first. So you, you talked to me about this before we recorded about this idea that like, recognizing and owning and kind of like becoming comfortable with what's really going on inside of you and who you really are yeah. and not judging yourself for that paved yeah. the way for everything else that you've done. Totally. Um, people talk about imposter syndrome and I think like the number one place we have it is with ourselves. Yeah. We're like, I we're, still have it. <laughs> like it's no, in like new it's, dimensions. Yeah. It yeah, comes yeah. up in new ways that like you, you master one level and then you're like, this is easy. And then something else occurs yeah and then it's like wow can i share this part of myself or we we just want to be loved and like we have to love ourselves first and that sounds like cheesy cliche but like it's so true because when we do have that deep found sense of respect and anchoredness in ourselves, we're not afraid yeah. of the outside as much yeah no i like that um i do think it's imposter syndrome with ourselves before anything else because we're the ones <laughs> passing the most judgment yeah. Like no one's thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. So like if you're not comfortable totally. with what you are, you think you're fake, then you kinda are. Or you're gonna come off that way because that's how you're acting. Also, we see all of ourselves. So, you know, for mm -hmm. if I would come out today and say, I'm Nicole and this is what I'm here for now, 
I know all of the past me and I know what I'm feeling about myself here. So like, I know the whole timeline. So we do feel like imposters, like at least that's what I feel like, because I'm like, but wait, how can I be that when I was this, (laughs) you know, where it's like other people, they don't see all those things. Yeah. We've all been one thing and turned into another and change again. And that's that's part of what educates us. It doesn't have to be that we're imposters. Um, No evolution. (laughs) So, that's a really bold, brave step, putting the video out. I noted like you knew the exact date, which is always interesting when people know exactly like when one of those yeah. key moments happens. I'm guessing you'll never forget that. What was the reaction to it? Like, did anyone notice? Was it, did it have this huge impact? Was it more about the impact on you? And so it didn't matter, but what happened as a result? Yeah. I mean, when I put it out, I remember the date because I put it out for domestic violence month, like okay. October is domestic violence awareness, right? So Um, and I was so scared. Like I had to drink wine to record the video. The video is still on YouTube. It's like, (laughs) I invested to have the video made. It just, it was a big thing for me. And I did, I don't even remember how much of a response it got, but I did get messages from people that said that they were either struggling in a domestic violence situation or that someone they know, like their sister or cousin was killed by someone. So it was just a lot of, I don't know. It just felt like, I don't, it felt so good for me just feeling like, damn, I'm not hiding in this part of me anymore. Yeah. And I don't know why I thought that people would not want anything to do with me. Like that's the belief that I developed. Like a lot of people, no one would want to spend time with me if they knew all this mess that I was. Yeah. Cause you're broken or you're whatever words you're inserting on yourself. Yeah. yeah, Like I'm drama. I'm messy. Like why would anyone want to invite this into their space? Yeah. So yeah, that's what I felt before that. Um, I guess the reason why I was asking about the reaction was if it mattered to you, like you obviously put a lot into the video and and making it happen. It was like emotionally and and otherwise, if nobody watched it or two people watched it or a million people watched it, do you think it would have had a different impact on you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think if people watched it and were like, behaved in the way that I was behaving towards myself (laughs) and it would have probably been more emotional and detrimental. I would have gotten over it. I don't know. I mean, it just, I don't even remember how many people, it's not like it was like this like viral thing or anything like that. But for me, it was more of a internal thing that felt like it felt like a rite of passage, like that I had to, like these things were making me sick by keeping them in, you know? Yeah. No, I think there's definitely something about that. Like we put stuff out and we want to have an impact and we want people to respond. And if they, we only get this many likes or no comments or whatever, it's like, you feel like you failed. It's like, well, why did you do it? Did you do it yeah. for you? And did you get something out of putting it out there? And I mean, you must've yeah. gone through like with your book. It's like, if that does really well, that's great. Like when people ask me with mine, it's like, oh, are you yeah. trying to like retire? I'm like, well, that'd be really nice. But you know, if I only sell one copy yeah, yeah. and that person's life has changed, then it did its job. Yeah. I mean, my book is like, my book is another thing. Like I just knew the book had to get out. It was like the book, there's certain things that show up in my business that feel like they're for me and they're for money and like things like that. And then there's things in my business, like my book was just something that needed to get out. And my book is for people that are not necessarily the people I would work with Mm -hmm. in my client base. Right. Um, I just knew that that book would be someone's medicine and it has been. Mm. So you know, it's just in writing that, like making the video, writing the book, 
allowed me to evolve. It was almost like I got to visit those parts of me and realize that that's not me anymore. So what, how did you go from the video to the book and like, what is the journey? And, and also, I mean, I want to get into the message too. Like, yeah, what is it that, because the story is amazing and I want people to grow from it. So let's. Yeah. So the book, the video was just like a coming out because this is why I want to help women Yeah. and how I was going to help women. I didn't know how I wanted to create this community. It was called Liberate, no longer exists. Um, but it was just me. It was like me showing up for the women, the woman that I was, the woman that felt alone and scared. It felt like I had no one and was kind of hiding in the shadows and wished that I could share my truth. So that's what the video kind of was. And then it morphed. I ended up blogging for Huffington Post and I ended up getting a coaching client. And that was like two months later. So then I started going into coaching and I realized I'm a pretty good coach. Like I have all these spiritual tools that I've been using on myself for years. And um, that just kept morphing. And I went to Tony Robbins event in June the next year. And I had this moment. Have you ever been to UPW? No. Oh, they're fun events. But I went and he has this transformation day where you like, imagine life this certain way. And it hit me like, I need to write this damn book. (laughs) So I literally go home and start writing the book. The book is its own process, but the book I was writing, I was just writing for the, the woman that again was like me. I was imagining a woman that was in an abusive relationship, felt too ashamed to even talk about it to people. Um, wished that she could find a way out and needed someone to give her permission, Mm. needed to see that someone else did it. It was also for the single moms that were on welfare that can't afford coaching, but like they need a reminder that you can get yourself out of this. So that's what the book was. And that's what the book has been for so many people. But I also get messages from men, people are reading the books. It's a 300 page book and people read it in like 24 to 48 hours. If you yeah, look at the Amazon stop, reviews, probably. <laughs> like yeah. I wrote it in such a way where it is very juicy. It's all real. Um, but it's, I didn't hold anything back because I want to show the power of like just the excellence in our humanness. That's one of my primary messages is that like, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're doing, if you can just recognize that all of it is human and that there's also a part of you that is so profound, so powerful, and that can help other people that if you start leaning in and looking for the greatness, it's there. And that's really what I want this book to show is just like, I went through all sorts of hell and unworthiness and I can still create, you know, a half a million dollar business as a single mom. So can you, or whatever it is that you want to do. I can, I'm not a single mom. But, yeah, but besides yeah. the whole mom part, <laughs> I could do <laughs> yeah. it otherwise. Yeah, negative self talk. Yeah, we have a lot of excuses, and I know for women, a big one is like my kids, yeah, or my past, or you know, and people get into victim, especially women, they get into victim, like, well, my husband or my ex husband is treating me this way, so what? Yeah, so what? Yeah, it's like they're still treating you that way, even if they're not here, because you're yeah. just continuing on that voice. You're letting it. Yeah. 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 And it's not, I mean, it's not in disrespect to anyone who's in the midst of that. Like it is hard. It is real. It's real work. I mean, look at your journey. Like you didn't just like, oh, okay, I'm good now. Like you put in serious work for over a decade. Yeah. Like Um, it it doesn't stop. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Continues on. So, um, it's not to say it's easy. Like, no, it's not easy, but it's, but it's the willingness what the only thing that we really need is willingness. That's what I feel. Mm. 
Like, like we only need willingness. Even me, there's there's something that I shared this and I'm still like in my business and very transparent. I really live by Brene Brown's work where she just says that like shame is insidious if you keep it in hiding. So like if there's anything that comes up where I'm feeling shameful and I had a really bad business deal where I was kind of like almost like light extortion summer mm. and it was and I also had a fire at my house and I just felt like crap. Wow. Like I was just like life is falling apart. Like what's happening to me? And I had nothing. I I felt like I was hiding. So I wanted to come out to my community and share some of these things and in putting it out there and sharing, I always recognize that like when we share and own the things, it's not as powerful. It's not as painful. And I had so much anger and hurt towards these people that all I knew is I was like, if I'm just willing to forgive them, if I'm just willing to step back into my power again. And then when I came back to LA, because we moved back to LA after the fire, kind of kicked us out. I had my biggest income day ever. Mm. And like all these things happening. So I was just like, I'm just willing, like God rearranged my thoughts, show me a new way, show me a new something because we don't have to know how. Yeah. What do you, you know, as you talk about whether it's a single mom or anyone else who's in the yeah. the throes of this, what do you think was the the biggest blocker that you don't need an outside help to overcome or you don't need the shock to overcome? Because this is what I get from people is like, well, I haven't had, you know, what you went through with the house in Vegas with uh, yeah. Devin. Like I haven't had the gun in my face or the car accident or the, like the cancer. Or the So w- what do you, what is it that people need to hear that's like, can be the catalyst, even if they haven't had that final moment where it's just kind of all thrown at them at once. Yeah. I mean, I would say this, people say this to me too. Cause they're like, well, what if I don't have this? How could I yeah. be this? Look, if you get really honest about the way that you're normalizing suffering in your life, you'll find something that sucks. Because if you're looking for a new way, there's something in your life that is unacceptable to you. It doesn't mean it's horrible. It doesn't mean it's like, you know, it, it may still be a first world problem, but if I feel like our potential will haunt us. And even me, when my life has been pretty good, yeah. I have this nagging feeling like there's more. Yeah. And I feel like your potential will haunt you. And if you found your way to this podcast and you're listening to this and you're reading the books and maybe you're investing in yourself, your your expression is trying to get you to pay attention to something. Yeah. There's more for you to create. And if you get honest about the ways that you hurt yourself and deny yourself of the thing that you want and the things that you dream of, you will find your own crappy moment. <laughs> you will find your own, yeah. like you can find it just by being radically honest and deciding that you're keeping yourself from the things you really desire. Yeah. You, when you talk about your, your, um, opportunity haunting you. Yeah. That's a really optimistic, hopeful viewpoint for someone who's had a, a lot of reasons not to be an optimist. Yeah. But do you think you've, cause a lot of people be like, Oh, it's not my opportunity that's haunting me. It's how everything's always going to come crashing down. Like I'm waiting for, <laughs> that was my thing. Like I was always waiting yeah. for the sky to fall. Yeah. Um, no matter how good it was, it was still super stressful. And it's all like, if I don't hold the sky up, it's going to crush me. Um, yeah. Do you think you've always seen things in that like, it's about the opportunity, even if it was crushing or mm, were I you more negative I, yeah. before? No, I mean, I was, I was both like, I was negative. I still have a lot of fear that will like show up. Um, but I always do, I've, I do believe in possibility. I don't know if it's cause I used to take a lot of LSD when I was like 16, 17, <laughs> okay. that like my mind is just open. <laughs> so I just see, but like, you know, I have my times too. My mom died last October and oh. I remember I like for a little bit, like stopped 
feeling like I could connect to my power to manifest things and like the power to co-create. Cause I was like, well, I didn't want to create that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so I felt like I'm not in control. I don't have an influence like I thought I did. So it's, it's just that overall, if we're going to live here and be in this space, why not look for the things that are good? Yeah. And the, I've also played with this and I always tell people just have a short-term experiment, like just have a short-term experiment. If life feels hard or you feel like you're stuck, what if you just have a 30-day experiment where you just immerse yourself in all the things that are good? If you just start choosing the better foods, what if you just start walking more and getting the endorphins going? Just have a freaking experiment and see what happens, you know? Yeah. The The reason why I asked you about the optimism thing is – Again, like, you know, some people are like, well, I didn't have that moment. Other people are like, well, that's, you just see that the good in things and I don't have that luxury. So it's like, yeah. were you always wired that way? And so um, sort of like on behalf of some of the listeners who may be poking holes in why it's, oh, it's different for me because I'm not like she yeah. had it this way. Um, I don't think anyone can listen to your story and be like, oh, she had it easy. She doesn't understand what my life's like. <laughs> yeah. But there are people who are just, you know, I had someone on really early who was about resilience and she was amazing, but she's like, I've kind of always been resilient. Yeah. And so it wasn't like, you know, I never saw things this way and this is how I learned the switch. Yeah. But for you, like I'm getting, it is a choice. It doesn't, yeah. you don't have to look at it that way, but I love it. It's like, well, if we're here anyway, we might as well choose to look at it this other way. Cause it's not going to be any easier if we don't. Totally. I mean, I'm actually like prone to depression. If there's anything like I notice, like for me, but I can pay attention to the dark side just as easy as the light side, yeah. <laughs> like you know, and I just think that there's the human, the human experience is full spectrum mm -hmm. and in the personal development world. There's a lot about the like light spectrum of things, yeah. but a lot of beauty is born from the pain. A lot of beauty is born in the darkness and yeah. Um, I found like by me entertaining some of the dark parts of me and like the things I didn't like, I found grit there and like grit is what got my business to grow fast. Yeah. Um, and also like, even now there'll be days where I'm like, Oh, I made, I made great money this week and I got new clients. So like I could just chill. And then I'm like, wait, or I could just turn this on and go even further. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like right. is it a what, catalyst? what reality do I want to play? In? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's learning to like, you know, we're just playing in this life. So I yeah. just play there. No, I think that's really cool. Um, so I don't, I don't, because I didn't research you on purpose. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I'm missing something. Like, am I, yeah. are we not, are we not digging on something that actually is like, no, this is super crucial. Mm -hmm. How can we not talk about this? No, I mean, I think like now where my life has evolved is that while I have like a ton of videos and my book and things are out there for people that are in that space. Yeah. But I do work with a lot of people that just feel like there is a big calling on their heart because I do feel like, look, life, if you look at how the collective is right now, there's a lot of stuck energy, like the lower class and middle class, like what's happening with healthcare, what people are doing with like their bodies and the food and everything in America. Like, I feel like there's just like a lot of stuckness. And a lot of that is because there's an old paradigm of like doing business and, and showing up in work and employee mindset. And then there's this new paradigm of where people are just showing up and, and sharing their gifts. And, um, I feel like this big burst in the coaching industry is not on accident. I feel like people are being called to help and support because people need it. You know, like we see what's happening with depression and all this stuff. So I love working with people where they have this like impulse to help. 
And so a lot of my work, that's where the harmonious hustle was born. So I love talking about that because I feel like there's an outdated paradigm for the word hustle. And right now, if we really tap into our sixth sense, which is listening, that our unique way of doing business and sharing our gifts and just being ourselves is already coded within us. Mm -hmm. So everything that I do, it's always putting the harmony first. Like when I was in finance, I learned from all male mentors and, you know, it it was just like a numbers game and it was push, push, push. And now it's like, wait, I need to prioritize feeling good and feeling joyful because if I'm feeling down and crappy and try to push through this day, nothing great is happening. (laughs) So, um, I would say like now that's like a big piece of where my brand is like in the harmonious hustle and really redefining what that means to, to show up in a big way, but not, not burn yourself out or get sick and all these things for it. Yeah. I think, um, pretty much everybody needs to focus on that right now. Like we we're in a very, I know it's like constantly on and the answer to it is like, we'll just get more done. And then it like, it doesn't, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I feel like yesterday I told my daughter, I was like, I gave too much of my life to my phone today. <laughs> I yeah. Like, I was like, it just did not feel good when I went to sleep last night. <laughs> yeah. That's totally our master. Like I, I was I was giving a talk to a, a group of like young attorneys recently. And, you know, it's all about like the billable hours and how overworked they are and you can't get out of the grind. Um, yeah. And uh, I was like, you know, rewind to like the late 90s, early 2000s, Blackberry's literally like hadn't even been invented yet like when you left work you left work and if you didn't bring papers home with you then you didn't have work with you right you know like it just it was different and now it's even if you're not actively working on something the fact that it's always reachable means like it follows you around and so then it's occupying space and your energy and your mind and it's it's burning you out it's like you know leaving leaving uh something on that's battery power like the battery is dying down even if you're not actively using it just because it's on totally just draining i would say that's a thing that you recognize when you start going to silent retreats is like the way it feels in your body to um look at certain things or to i mean meditation in general but like i noticed as soon as i put on my social media i'm like and i'm on my phone i could feel the different places in my body where it's being impacted like heaviness or and it's just like wow (laughs) this is what i'm doing um and i don't think that we realize it enough or one practice I always look at is like, am I looking at this because I really have something to look at or am I looking for love and connection? Yeah. And just being honest about that because it can be a drain and it's like I said, we get, I give my life to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I want my life back right now. Yeah. Or, or we look at it for disconnection and it's mm-hmm. like, well, what are you disconnecting from? And until you address that, that you're not actually people are like, well, I need the downtime. Like, yeah, but from what? Have you ever really looked into why you feel a need for downtime? Yeah. And until you actually address it, you're just going to keep detaching more and more. Yeah. Uh, it's like living a half-assed connected life. Like you think yeah. you're like, when I'm looking for a love and connection online, it's not real. It's like a, it's a false sense of it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it's not good. But it's like, you're right. We're just all living in this thing. So I don't know. Have you seen the show Black Mirror? Uh, no, on Netflix? N- not enough, no. <laughs> oh, it's interesting, yeah. but I feel like it talks about this stuff. I had this desire when you just said half-ass connected life to be like, make that a hashtag, which is kind of ironic and hypocritical, the whole conversation. So I'm not going there. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of a little bit backwards. Um, all right. So where, where can people find out more about you? Obviously, like I'll link to the book and the show and put all these videos, everything you're putting out, working yeah. with you. Where's the best place to get a hold of all that? 
Um, Instagram, I like to play the most and I have a free workbook that people can download. It's a seven day shift. So it's like boundaries, worthiness, money mindset, just kind of like a check-in. Uh, that's on Instagram, YouTube. I have some videos on there. My podcast, the harmonious hustle about to launch a new season and yeah, Facebook. I do some stuff there too. But IG is the place to focus. Yeah. I like to be on Instagram. It's fun. Um, awesome. I, I definitely, I knew Brett wouldn't misguide me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I was so curious and now I fully get it. And I also kind of get why he just left it as she has this crazy story of like, you know, abuse and, um, it's, it's better to hear it for the first time from you. Yeah. Um, I don't know how easily it sums up into like a two sentence intro email. Yeah. Instead, like there's so much power to it. Um, but I just, I really respect and appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all that and the way that you've grown since that. Thank you. Cause it is a, you have a choice of that divergent path and, um, well, I'm just really thankful. I'm sure you are and your daughters too, that you chose yeah. the choices you have since then and that you're sharing that with others. Cause there's definitely, there's too many people who need that. Totally. Me too. That's why I believe in people because like I say that from my heart because I'm just like, I know what it takes. It's not the easiest thing, but like, it's just possible. Like anything is possible. I didn't choose, I didn't think I would be here doing the things I do and, you know, having people fly all over to come to my live events and stuff like that. Like who would have thought, (laughs) but it's like, we all have the power to impact each other and to help each other. And we just have to choose first to help ourselves. Yeah. Really well said. Um, Nicole, you you ready to help me close things out? I'm ready to help you. All right. Today's a new day. Get it done. That's good. I'll take that. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Brian. How awesome was that? That is a seriously real person with a seriously real story. The tough and the good. I mean, imagine yourself in her shoes through any of those really, really difficult times. Like the childhood stuff, the stuff as a young adult with the abuse, with the drugs, and then what she went through with Devin, you know, with with the father of her child. And then the good stuff, like, can you picture yourself standing in front of a thousand or two thousand people with their arms in the air, telling you in unison how much you're valued and loved and cared about? That is seriously powerful. I'm so thankful for Nicole coming on the show and sharing her story with me and with all of you. I got a ton out of it. You know, that idea of the willingness, that that's all we really need is that notion of being open to taking the first step. The tools are there, but you still need to be willing to take them, to use them, to move your life forward. And, I mean, you heard it in her story. She wasn't, but she got to such a point of desperation, she almost didn't have a choice. Well, you do always have a choice and you don't have to let it go that far. And I think her point about normalizing suffering really comes into play there. Are you normalizing suffering so you don't see why you absolutely have to take the step? It's pretty powerful stuff. Um, you know, so thankful to Brent Thierry for connecting us, but to Nicole for coming on as well. She said where you can find her, but didn't actually say what the the places were. Like she's like Instagram or website. So her website is Nicole sylvester.com and it's nicole n-i-c-h-o-l-e 
Um, I will link to it in the show notes. Really easy to get to. Her book is O Shift, and you can find that on her site. And of course, I will also link to that. Her podcast, The Harmonious Hustle, is awesome. Really, really good show. Um, And then on Instagram, she's Nicole Sylvester, and uh, that's what she is across social media. But again, just hit the show notes, and you can get the links there. You can also do something else for me. As I was editing this this episode, not well, not technically at the exact same time, but (laughs) the same few days, I also finally got the website put together for the 5075-100 solution because it's ready for pre-order. I'm not officially launching it yet. I'm not officially telling people yet. I'm going to wait until the one-month mark before it comes out. It's going to be released on November 19th. So I'm going to start the promotion, the discussion about being able to get it starting on October 19th, which happens to be my 41st birthday. So if you want to give me a little birthday present, if you want to help me out, go and pre-order the book. And here's the thing. For the pre-order, you can get it on Amazon Kindle. You can get it Barnes & Noble Print, Barnes & Noble Nook. And according to Amazon's site, it looks like you can actually pre-order it in print. But from everything I've been told, you're not able to. So I don't really know what's going on with that. But you might also be able to get it from Amazon. But if you go to 5075100.com, and that's all numbers, so 5075100.com, you'll see these green buttons that say get the book. If you click on that, it'll take you through to my store, and I've put up any of the versions of the book that are available for pre-order. You can pre-order them really easily. But here's the thing is, if you're curious, you're not totally sure, I did this with Do A Day also, on release day. I'm going to lower the price of the ebook to 99 cents. It's normally going to be 6.99. The print is 11.99. Signed copies are a little bit more. But I really want everyone to get the book. That's really important to me. And so for a very short window around the release, it's going to be 99 cents on the Kindle. You can't beat it, right? If you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, if you're not sure, do you have a dollar? Good, because you can get it for 99 cents and keep the penny. So you can go to Amazon.com, get the book really simply and cheaply. And most importantly, when you read it, I want to hear back from you. So hit Amazon, go back in after you read it, and give a review. Hopefully it's five stars, hopefully it's all positive, but I want to know what you really think. And I want you to really think about it. So what relationships in your life might you be able to make better when you take in the lessons in 5075-100? There's a reason why the second part of the title is Build Better Relationships, because that's exactly what it should help you do. So 99 cents, I think everybody's got that. Go check your couch cushions if you don't. Hop on over to Amazon, pick up the book. You can get to it from 5075100.com. Pre-order it as soon as the 19th of November rolls around. Boom, it'll come right through on your Kindle, or if you have a mobile phone or a or smartphone, I should say, Um, desktop, computer, iPad, whatever it is, there's a Kindle app for free for all those things. So you can get it on any device and take it in and learn and grow and hopefully grow better relationships all around you. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. I have been working on this book for like two years. (laughs) It's been a long ride. Um, It's been amazing, but it's been a long ride. And it's so cool to finally have it ready to go. I'm actually holding a copy of it right now as I record this, which is really cool. Put your heart and your mind and your soul into something, an idea, and then have it materialize 
in your hands is a very rewarding feeling. So I hope you go check out 5075100.com. Click that little aqua kind of blue-green button that says get the book and get the book. Easy enough. Can't wait to hear what people think. And I am so thankful for you joining me this week. Thank you to Nicole again for spending time with me so that I could share her message with all of you. And I just remind you guys, today is a new day. Go out, do it, pre-order 5075100. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye.